When you're bitter and cynical and resentful, you go, well, great. Way to go, Paul, with your <laughs> systems. Good work. You know, like, and the truth is, I need to implement that in my business. I can't just keep looking at folks going, oh, that works for you, but it would never work for me. <laughs> All these voices are going to be gathered into a, <laughs> a, an extended clip, by the way. <laughs> All right, how's it going, guys? This is The Gently Mad, a podcast about life, business, and entrepreneurship without the bullshit. I'm Adam Clark. I'm your host. Thanks for listening. As you may have noticed, there's something new here, right? What, what is it? What, I, you know, it's the music. That's what it is. There's new music. Right. I, uh, I decided it was finally time after four years almost to retire my intro that I normally do. There's normally that one minute long intro that most of you skip, so you probably haven't heard it in a while. But uh, yeah, I thought it was time to retire that and do something a little different, you know? Uh, it's, it's time for change. Change is good, right? Well, change is happening, whether it's good or not. I really loved this music. I don't know, sounds kind of like something like Jack White, maybe a little bit heavier than Jack White, but I love Jack White. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just thought it was time for something new. And so we've got something new. I know probably most of you skipped that intro anyway. I mean, it's a minute long and I've had it for years. So those of you who are regular listeners are more than familiar with it. So I decided to, uh, I created, Apple has a new thing with podcasts. They have different types of episodes. And one of the new types of episodes is a trailer, which I think is genius. Uh, genius to have trailers for podcasts. So now if you have a podcast you can create a trailer episode, which, you know, like a movie would be short, like a minute long, something like that. And it'll show up at the top of your feed. If someone searches in iTunes, find your show, they can listen to your trailer and figure out what, what the show's about. So I took my intro and turned it into a trailer. So uh, if you're subscribed to the show, then you probably saw a couple extra episodes today, which I'll get into those. But one of them is the trailer. And I wish there was a way that it didn't have to show up in the feed like as a new episode for you guys, but at least it'll be there for if this is your first time listening to the show or you're not a regular subscriber or you haven't really heard that intro, then you can listen to it. And new people who find the show will be able to listen to it as a trailer, get a sense of what the show's about, and you don't have to hear it every single time you listen to the show. Anyway, I think that's uh, plenty of time spent on the trailer, <laughs> the intro, the new intro. All right, we got Justin Jackson on the show today, and I realize this is only the second time he's been on the show. It feels like he's been on the show about half a dozen times, but that's because we've recorded, you know, hours of conversations over the last four or five years that we've known each other. But he's actually only been on the show once before, and it was early on. I think it was episode six, something like that. I don't know. It's in the show notes, which, by the way, you can get at thegentlymad.com slash 67. And the first episode, we talked for a couple hours, and we did it again. This is, I think, officially the longest episode of The Gently Mad so far. We talked for a little bit over two hours, which also means there's no bonus episode this week. I just, I felt like it, it didn't really, I didn't want to cut it up into a main episode and a bonus episode. The whole thing was so good. You know, I just thought I'd leave it all together as one 
for you guys. So those of you who aren't subscribed to the bonus feed, you get the whole thing this time. That said, I would still encourage you to subscribe to the bonus feed because it's pretty awesome if I do say so myself. Just about every episode, I was going to say every episode, but clearly not given this one, but just about every episode of The Gently Mad has a bonus episode. And that episode is where we kind of dive deep. I dive deep with the guest into tactics, strategies, more businessy stuff related to their particular expertise. So you can subscribe to that by going to thegentlymad.com and subscribing. Uh, and now subscribing sounds weird because I've said it so many times. Or you can do it on your phone by text, texting the word TGM to 345-345 and you will be subscribed to that list and you'll get all the bonus episodes. So basically, I'm releasing one episode a week this time around, but it's essentially two episodes a week because of the bonus episodes, and a lot of times they end up being as long as the main episode, despite my best efforts to keep this thing concise. I just don't, you know, I can't be concise. I don't know how to do it, okay? I, I, I try, but I just fucking don't ever stop talking. It's the weirdest thing I was at. Uh, I was having drinks with a buddy of mine the other night, and... I realized it's so weird. No one who doesn't listen to the show have a completely different uh, perception of me because I was having drinks there. Uh, he had just played a show here in Chattanooga and I met up afterwards, met up with him afterward at uh, this bar and there were a few girls there from the show and, uh, you know, my, my typical self, I just don't talk much. You know, I'm kind of the quiet one and, uh, I, I talk a lot more if it's just one-on-one, -on -one, but in a group, uh, don't tend to talk that much. And I was thinking about it while I was sitting there. I was thinking about how I do this show and the other podcasting things I do. And it's just so different. Like <laughs> if you, if you met me in person at an event or something, you'd be like, is this the same guy? Really? I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm quiet. and But on the show, something's different. I don't know what it is, but I just, this feels like my home. It feels feels like my space for some reason. And then I can be whatever I want to be, say whatever I want to say, and it doesn't matter. So uh, it's just a different me you get. But it's, you know, it's all part of the same me. Just a different, maybe a different side of me. There are many sides of me shall we say. And some of them are larger than others. Okay. Anyway, as I said, Justin Jackson, we had a great conversation. We talked a lot about life in general, uh, which is pretty typical for this show, but even more so with Justin. Uh, he and I have a lot of similarities and, you know, he's been through some shit, man. I mean, he's been through a lot of stuff and we kind of got into it. And last year was particularly difficult for him. And I think he kind of bottomed out in some ways. But he's coming back. He has come back and is doing a lot of great stuff. So what I really thought was cool about this conversation is we've all been there. We've all dealt with some form of whether it's depression or self-doubt or feeling stuck or feeling like this is not the life we want. We have no fucking idea how to get it. Uh, Justin's been there and he has come back from that. And so we, we kind of get into all that. And there's plenty of sort of practical businessy stuff too, especially toward the end. I asked Justin what, what, what he would do if he just had to start completely over. And it's probably the best answer to that question that I've ever heard. I asked that question to everyone. And uh, sometimes it's an okay answer. Sometimes it's not. Justin basically laid out, this is exactly what I do. You know, if I was starting over tomorrow, here's exactly what I would do step by step. And I thought it was great. It was great just sort of encapsulation 
of if you're starting right now, how do you go from zero to a business? And lastly, before we actually get to the conversation is the book giveaways. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you don't listen to these intros then you don't know about the book giveaways. Maybe this is your first time listening to one. Well, every month I give away a book and it's a book that has personally impacted me or I love for whatever reason or another. This month it's The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Fantastic book. It will change your life. And uh, the way to get that is to leave me a rating and review. I would love it if you would leave me a rating and review anyway, just because you love me and you want me to keep doing this. Because when you leave a rating and review, it helps other people find the show, helps my audience grow. Leaving ratings and reviews really helps. So, you know, I'm trying to bribe you a little bit here. If you leave me a rating and review, then you'll be entered to get the book. If you do, take a picture of it and email it to me at adamatavclark.com so that I know it was you and who to send the book to. So we'll get to Justin in just one second after this brief word from our sponsor. Hey guys, as you know, if you've been listening this month, the Gently Matter is sponsored by Fizzle. Fizzle is a community of entrepreneurs who won't let you quit. They're an amazing community, a community I've been part of for years and something I wouldn't give up for anything. Being an entrepreneur is kind of a lonely road. There's you know, so many things, so many times you're sitting at your desk going, I have no idea what to do right now. There's a ton of great courses like how to start a podcast, how to start a business, how to find your audience, how to start a writing habit, uh, content marketing, everything you could think of related to starting a business is there in the form of courses and podcasts and articles. But the reason I love it is the community. Uh, It's an amazing community. I have built friendships there that have turned into real life friendships. It's a super supportive community and they're supporting me this month with the show. So go to fizzle.co slash TGM, get a month free, check it out. Look me up in the forums. I would love to connect with you there. Do it. You won't regret it. Trust me. Just do it. Fizzle.co slash TGM. All right. It's finally time to talk to Justin. Not going to delay this any longer. Let's get to it. And I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. Justin Jackson, finally have you on the phone. It's been yeah. it's been hard to do, and honestly, this whole podcast thing was just a ruse because I just need some advice, and I and I didn't think I could get you on otherwise. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's one way to get me. There's like yeah. a, a list of things I prioritize, and phone calls is near the bottom of my list. <laughs> I I need to change that, but. Uh, I have this old kind of mentor from uh, uh, basically from when I was in the church, uh, but it, we're still friends and he's in Philadelphia, but he's in his 60s for sure, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, my voicemail message says, hey, this is Justin. I'm basically a dick on it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this is Justin. I don't listen to voicemail. 
I don't like phone calls. If you want to get a hold of me, email me or message me. And he will leave me the funniest voicemails. Just like, just imagine an old man like on his porch, but yelling into a phone. Yep. <laughs> Saying, what the heck? What? Come on. Just, this is ridiculous. I know. My, my friends and I leave each other those kinds of voicemails. But um, just out of curiosity, like, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but I love phone calls. Like I, uh, you know, the fact, the best thing about my new business is that I'm slammed with sales calls all day long. Um, and I love Mm. it. Um, I, I hate texting, messaging, you know, unfortunately that's how most people want to communicate these days, but I would much rather just jump on a call. Um, so Mm -hmm. why do do you, why do you think that is? Because there are other people like you, obviously. Yeah, I think, I think it's just, to be honest, I think phone calls are better. I think they're important, but there's something, uh, that the part I think I don't like about it is it just feels intrusive (laughs) in my day. It's like, oh, I got to make time where I have, you'll have my complete attention. (laughs) And that's what you need. That's what you want. But you know, a text message, I can kind of reply whenever. An email, I can reply whenever. Slack message, I can ignore. You know, there's just, but a phone call, it's on my calendar or, a, you know, an un, an unintended phone call, an unplanned phone call is like, that's just, I my, my heart rate goes up when I get a phone call like that. Oh, really? Well, that means yeah. I've caused your heart rate to go up a few times. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, you're you're not so bad because it's. I know you probably just want to chat about something, but like if I got a call from my dad and I see it's my dad, I'm like, oh shit, yeah. what happened? Or right. one of my kids, or you know, I'm, if somebody calls me and it's like a close friend or you know a family member, it's like I'm not oh, a close friend. I don't fall in well, that category. I, a close friend around here, I mean, like someone's uh, watching okay. my kids and it's like, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> maybe I should pay attention to one of your, your phone calls. Cause maybe one day my, one of my kids will hitchhike to Chattanooga. I won't know about it. You'll see them downtown smoking or vaping nice. and you'll yep. be like calling me like, Hey, Marty is on the corner vaping in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> No, I'll, I'll be I'll be walking over saying, "Hey, dude, you uh, can I bum one of those from you? Let's let's do it together." And uh, and he'll be like, "You're way cooler than my dad." So, <laughs> uh, but I like no, the story we're making up here. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I I get that. I, I get that for sure. I, I think what it is is it's the same reason I love podcasting and I don't like writing as much. Um, I just have a much easier time. Uh, talking things like I'm definitely a verbal processor you know Mm -hmm. Um, some people write some people you know that's why I love therapy I've always loved therapy and I don't know Mm -hmm. how anyone survives life without being in therapy because I need to have someone that I can see once a week and just talk to for an hour Mm -hmm. and get it out and and I I guess I kind of do that with everything you know with business with all of it you know I'd much rather talk than write which Mm -hmm. um you know, yeah, I guess the, that's I guess that's good that I I'm, I'm I, I did a podcasting business instead of a um you know a written content <laughs> business. So yeah, totally. Now I I'm the same way when it comes to in real life. I love hanging out with people in real life. Uh, my my favorite thing is I have this office downtown Vernon. 
that I've rented ever since I moved here. And, you know, I don't know, 10 seconds away is my barbershop. I will stop in there, you know, almost, well, three times a week. I was going to say, you, even, you get a haircut. Well, based on your Instagram, you get a haircut almost daily. <laughs> point, so I don't get a haircut daily. That's the thing. I just like hanging out there. <laughs> and then uh, I like to go to the coffee shop and just hang out there, see, you know, see my friend Andrew that runs the place. And then, you know, often I'll like turn the corner and go around and my buddy Bryce runs the skateboard shop on the other side. And I just love that. I love being with people in real life and talking things out. Um, I just saw my therapist yesterday and it is, uh, even when I have to process really hard shit, I look forward to it. Like I can't, I can't, when I see it on my schedule, I'm like, yes. Uh, So yeah, there's something about being in real life for sure that I love. Although, And before we go too much further, I think we should mention... That you and I got to see each other in real life in the past month. Yeah, we met for the first time at MicroConf. I was talking to Mike uh, Tabor on this. Uh, I don't know when these episodes, like what order they'll be released, but I was talking to Mike and I was like, that's one of the coolest things about going to your, your thing, which is MicroConf, because uh, I meet people that I feel like are like significantly... Uh, involved in my life and feel like close friends and it's it, you feel it's it, like you think about it, you're like wait a minute we haven't actually ever met in person and it's it's it just is a weird i was telling him it's like you know 10 years ago even 10 years ago let alone like in the 90s when i was kind of coming of age like that just wasn't like there was no concept of of, of that that you could have someone that would be a really close friend someone who's involved in your life and you'd actually never met yeah, although I was a pretty big geek in the 90s and I had quite a few of those friends, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was like at age 12 or 13, I became a, a co-sysop with a, a guy, like a 24-year-old that was running a BBS and he would, I don't know why my parents allowed this, but he would call me all the time and, huh. you know, we would talk about running this bulletin board and... uh you know, I, I still to this day have not met him. Yeah. So I, I've had that experience, I think, for quite a while. But there is something really special about meeting people in person. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I like MicroConf is because so many of my people are there. So it just feels like a family reunion every year. It feels Definitely. like yeah. I can't wait to go and see those people and hang out with those people. Um, and it's kind of it, it feels like a family reunion because you know how family reunions they grow and you know there's often new people and yeah. you know it, and it feels kind of like that. So every year I meet somebody new or uh, you know somebody I've known on the internet but haven't met in person, and then you know um, we have these shared experiences. Uh, like this year was different because my wife came and she really likes to do activities, and so we went on a hike out in Calico Hills. Uh, I, I, I've never done this before, but I just um, didn't go and watch the talks for a full day yeah. <laughs> during one, you know, one of the day's sessions. And we just went to the arcade and anyone else that was like, you know, not going to sessions or whatever came. And it was so fun. We just played all these coin-op uh, arcade games. Yeah. And then uh, what else? Did, oh, and then we went to this escape room. And like those three events kind of transformed the conference experience for me. It made it really? feel very much like summer camp. Yeah, I can uh, see that. 
like by the end of that escape room, we kind of went in and we were like, you know, we know each, we kind of knew each other, but not really. By the end, we were hugging. Like it was like a, a, <laughs> well, well, a too meaningful. Bad I, ex- I, 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 I skipped out on it, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not that. See, that's that's the difference though for me. And I, I posted about this on Instagram. Is like I love the conference and stuff, but I find that I have to spend. Uh, at least half my time in my hotel room to just uh, be able to do the other half. It's like I never realized how much of an introvert I am until I get to a place like that because I don't feel like an introvert. You know, I do yeah. this show. I talk to people. I have a high level of energy and I'm not like someone just sort of like skulking in the corner and, you know, doesn't want to say anything to anyone. Like I'm comfortable in front of people and all that kind of stuff. But it really comes out when I go to a conference when and I realize that um, – you know, the true meaning of being an introvert in that you're recharged by alone time. That That's when I realized that, like, I just, I can't, uh, I can't spend the whole time out among the people as it were, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or else I, I just can't. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely the opposite. I, that was what was so nice about having, uh, Lorinda come this year is because when I get there, I, all I want to do is just, hang out at the hotel, like meet with people, go to the, you know, go to the coffee shop and just see who shows up. Uh, that's, that's my jam. And I, I think one thing, because my wife is much more uh, introverted, she needs to recharge and, and things like that. And one thing I realized is, you know, we're at the party and it gets to be 1030. And, you know, emotionally, I want to keep going because it's just, it's just so fun to yeah. hop around and, and I want to meet everybody. I want to talk to everybody. I want to, I'm curious, like I, and it feeds me like, you know, I could go forever, but yeah. at 1030, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be attentive to her needs and she, I know she, ah, she's probably getting tired. So, Hey, do you want to leave? And then as soon as I said that, I realized how physically tired I was Right. and you know, okay, I got to go and, you know, go to bed, but emotionally, especially there, because it's, it's like the few, it's like, well, the only place in the world where I get treated, like I've got some sort of celebrity and I, yeah. I, uh, I wrestle with this because I don't, I don't want to say that I like it, but I really do like it. But on the other hand, I'm trying to be just a real person. And I know that, <laughs> like I, that I, uh, you know, I'm not, um, like there really is nothing special about me, but I do like the fact that there's, the attention is nice and then getting to meet all these people is nice. And so, um, yeah, this year was great. I, I just found, uh, it was really balancing having, uh, my significant other there and, um, yeah, yeah but you, you have, I mean, uh, I mean, I like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I certainly like the attention. I, I wasn't expecting. Okay, so for me, this was the first time I'd been to a conference in three years. Uh, my previous sort of career is all focused on the web, so I, I would go to web design development conferences. And and the first year I did that in 2010, it was intentional. It was a strategy to network and meet people and create relationships that I knew would pay off. You know, a year or two down the road, and it did. Um, but then, uh, three years ago when everything kind of fell apart for me and I 
went to work at Apple and kind of just disconnected from all the online like communities and things that I was part of. You know, mm-hmm. obviously I didn't go to conferences and stuff. So the last year has been sort of about getting back into that. So this was my first conference in years anyway, but also my first conference that wasn't web focused, that was more business focused. So I didn't expect to, uh, I expected to know people, but I didn't expect anyone to know me. So yeah. uh, it was really um, cool that uh, there were uh, a lot of people there that uh, knew of me mostly from the show or mm-hmm. uh, other things. And, um, and yeah, that was unexpected. But, you know, I mean, you have to like that, though. I mean, it's oh, you yeah. know, when, when you're standing there talking to someone, they're asking you what you do. And I'm telling them about my new podcasting business and someone comes and interrupts us to say, you're, oh, you're the, you're the, you're the jelly, you're Adam, you're the jelly mad guy. I love your show. And then they rant and rave for, for a minute and a half before moving on. I mean, that just sold that client, you know? So now I have a new client, you know, and I, and that's worth so more than I could have stood there and talked for two hours, you know, and it wouldn't have had that, wouldn't have created that. So that's really the power of podcasting. Yeah. Podcasting more than anything else. And Again, you don't have to be super charismatic or su- you don't even have to have a popular show. Podcasting creates that connection, that emotional connection with people. Yeah. And once you get on a show and especially the way you do your show, which is, you know, being very vulnerable, that vulnerability creates connection. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's actually a mistake a lot of people make with podcasting is... They're trying, and I'm definitely um, uh, guilty of this. You know, you try to you try to make your life, you, you try to appear too cool, too all together. And the truth is, people want to hear the vulnerability stuff. Yeah. In fact, I've found myself lately listening to shows, and when it, I, there's all these moments where I notice like hosts could have a moment of vulnerability, but you can tell that you can tell that they're insecure about something or that you know they could they could get into some emotional stuff but that they, they just gloss over it or they 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 try to um you know make themselves appear better than they are it's like ah damn <laughs> I, I like i i'm almost like saying out loud like ah fuck come on you like <laughs> you missed it it was right there like we almost had a connection and instead you tried, you know, you, you got insecure and, and, you know, you just wanted, ah, damn it, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, that's important. I, I think it's going to become increasingly important, actually, as, uh, you know, right now, mental health is a big topic. And what differentiates us from the superstars is going to be, hey, I'm a human being. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel like this. Hey, guess what? That thing that you feel like that you feel you're completely alone on, I feel that too. Yeah. And um that means we can't recycle the old memes. Like there's the old vulnerability memes that have already been expressed. Like do you have imposter syndrome? Well, of course. Right. We've already we've already explored that. That imposter syndrome, people that's been explored. It, it's still a thing, but it's kind of out there. Like we've hashed that out publicly. 
But there's so much more in the human experience and our emotional experience and our personal life that has not yet been put out into the world that really needs to be. And those are opportunities for, you know, podcasters and, well, bloggers and, you know, anyone creating content or speaking out loud. And, um, yeah, I think that's what creates the connection that that's what people that's when when people come up to you and interrupt a conversation what they're the reason they feel they need to because you know that they were sitting in the corner and they're like oh my god that's adam that's that's adam i listened (laughs) to his show i don't know that but yeah yeah no no this is the way it goes because i've i've experienced this and i've heard other people talk about this too just yesterday i was listening to a podcast with rob walling uh who's like a big hero of mine uh, yeah. And we've become friends over the years, but, you know, he, he created Drip. He has Startups for the Rest of Us, a great podcast. He wrote a book, Start Small, Stay Small. It's like, he's the dude. And he he talk, he shared this story about meeting Jeff Atwood from Coding Horror, right. which was a big blog for programmers. And and he, he said he left the con- – he was like, oh, that's Jeff Atwood. I should say hi. He's like, oh, no. I, no oh, yeah. Not- I, think, I think we listened – yeah, I remember uh, – we listened to the same episode. Yeah, he was talking mm-hmm. about that, I think, in one of the recent episodes of yeah. The Rest of Us. Yeah. And he left the conference and then came back. Yeah. And, and so you know this person sitting on the side like, oh, my God, that's Adam Clark. I listened to his show. How can I express the meaning and the connection I have with him without being weird, without – you know, looking like a dope, like with yeah. whatever. And so they come over and that, it's such a courageous moment for, for someone to say that they appreciate your work. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I just think that's amazing that people do that. And that, is, I mean, there must be a lot of emotional momentum from someone listening to a show that that would push them to do that to like get completely out of their comfort zone to be completely yeah. awkward and to open themselves up like that like cuz you could have been a dick you could have been like yeah whatever man or whatever <laughs> right and well, I, I don't know I, yeah like i like I said i didn't expect it here because it's been 3 years since i have been on the scene at all and it was a conference in a different industry like that used to happen all any type of web conference I used to go to a few years back you know it was those those kinds of interactions were um you know like not exaggerating every few minutes the whole conference and Mm -hmm. so but I just wasn't expecting that here especially because I had just you know relaunched but um Mm -hmm. but I don't know see I don't feel like when there's someone I want to talk to like that uh and this is where the whole introversion thing is weird for me is I don't feel that, uh, I don't feel that, um, like, uh, like I'm going to be bothering them or maybe I'm going to sound like an idiot. Um, which is the same thing about like being vulnerable on the show. Like I worry about the other, the other end of it. Like I'm constantly worried about, you know, Where's the line between being authentic and vulnerable and honestly just sharing too much information that people yeah. don't want to know um, or that is makes things awkward or uncomfortable, you know, because yeah. um, that's that for some reason is just naturally where I go. Like, that's mm-hmm. the only way I really know how to talk to people. Like, I've joked that, you know, 
I can meet you for the first time and 10 minutes later, like, uh, we're, uh, we're talking about our marriage problems, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, that's just how it, uh, I just don't do the, um, you know, the, the chit chatty stuff very well. I don't just don't have much mm-hmm. patience for that. Not intentionally. It just, I don't know. It's just the way I am. So I don't really yeah. struggle with that. I struggle with the other end of it of, you know, what is uh, a feeling like, Oh, I just said too much or now it's awkward because, that joke was too inappropriate, you know, or whatever. Um, it's not mm-hmm. the, it's not the, it's not the struggle to be vulnerable. It's the struggle to, you know, not be too vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's probably a stair step approach to that where, you, you know, you meet someone for the first time, especially someone that does not know you. Like with someone who's listened to my podcast I they almost expect us to be more vulnerable right away. Mm-hmm. Often they'll come to me and they'll reveal something very personal about themselves because yeah. in their mind I've already earned the right to, you know, to yeah. hear that that kind of vulnerable information because I've shared so much with them. And so, you know, in that case, you know, it could happen faster. But someone I've just met you I, what I try to do is, you know, you start surface, but introduce a little bit of vulnerability. Uh, like one of my disarming comments, and I'm not sure if it's helpful or whatever, but, you know, someone might come up to me and ask me a question, like treating me like an expert. Yeah. And my joke is, you know, here's what I do, but I'm just a jackass on the internet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, you, you can take what I say with, you know, a grain of salt. Like I'm... I, I'm nothing special. Here's what's worked for me. Here's what I've seen other, you know, work for other people. You know, if you could see my real life, I drive, uh, you know, a 2000, 2011 Dodge Caravan and a 2009 Honda Fit. Like, that's that's my life. Uh, and the Honda <laughs> Fit has a big dent in the door because... <laughs> Yes, because we we ran into a parking when you know one of those party things. Yeah, Uh, like that's that's who I am. I'm not like uh, a cool uh, Lamborghini YouTube guy, you know that. uh, Yeah, and so being disarming, having enough vulnerability that you know it, it disarms people, it lets them know I'm just a real human being. Now my fear with that is I have noticed, I've talked about this with my therapist, I have noticed that when I reveal some stuff, when I, when I open the, cur- the curtain too wide, <laughs> is, this a, <laughs> is this a good metaphor? Yeah. When I open the curtain too much, there are some fans that are disappointed. Mm. Like the illusion is shattered. And uh, Billy Corgan actually talked about this with Joe Rogan. Have you heard that episode? No, I haven't. Oh, hot damn. You, you've got to put it in the show notes. It's such a good conversation. Billy Corgan is just, he, he tells so many stories. He is funny. He is personable. But he talks about this illusion people have of him of being kind of this down, depressed, emo <laughs> yeah. kind of person. Yeah. And then they meet him in real life and they're disappointed. You know, it, it shatters the illusion. And so Joe Rogan is like, well, you know, does it upset you or whatever? And he's like, well, for a rock star, you really do need to have that picture. You need people want the fantasy. And so it's okay if, you know, if you're giving them the fantasy and you're giving them what they want, that's fine. 
and, and he shared the story about how one of the most popular memes of like 2015 was <laughs> Billy Corgan on a on a roller coaster at Disneyland. But they yeah, just caught a picture that. of him <laughs> where yeah. he looked like super like depressed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's like, you know, at first he said I was upset because he said I I was having a great time on that roller coaster. They just got the one frame of me yeah. where my face looked grumpy. But he said on the other side, he's like, it was good for business. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> because, because people people don't want a happy Billy Corgan. They right. want, you know, I want him to be wearing black and I want him to, yeah. you know, be looking glum. And, you know, that's but, what I want. But at the same time, it's like, you know, and my friends tease me about this, you know, um, like one of my friends tweeted the other day, um, uh, one of my closest friends, you know, I didn't even know he'd ever listen to the show because, you know, it's usually like, I don't know, for me, my closest, closest friends and family, they don't listen to anything that I do. And, but he tweeted like, listening to my buddy Adam's uh, uh, Gently Matt podcast. And I think he's the only person in the world more depressing, depressive uh, or depressing <laughs> than I am, you know? And so it's like, there's part of me that's, um, you know, it does it. I don't want to just be the guy who's always complaining, is always struggling. You know, yeah. everything is always, um, you know, everything is always like a a walk through the 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 forest of sadness. You know, um, <laughs> but that is I slip into that mode very easily because that, that is where, that's the title of your new album, by the way, yeah. a walk through the forest. of sadness. Actually, that's a, a direct <laughs> quote from a journal entry from 20 years ago. Uh, so there was, uh, in which my friends still tease me about to this day. Um, there was a uh, uh, there was a situation with we grew up in similar circles. I grew up in and it was a cult for you know it just was and um, mm-hmm. extremely this religious kind of thing. And there was this girl and, you know, it was, it was cut off. We weren't allowed to talk to each other, or whatever. And anyway, my journal, um, I wrote something like, I mean, dude, I was 20, but I was yeah. really emotionally, I was probably like 16 because of, you know, the, the system we grew up in. But yeah, my journal the next day was, was these like just super melodramatic stuff. Like, you know, um, today the, the ashes that were my heart have begun to crust over and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and stuff like today was another romp through the woods of, of despair. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was just all this, uh, you know, and so my friends that know that stuff, like they tease me about that all the time. So that was actually a direct quote. So maybe it would be, you know, uh, the next show yeah. I do someday will be called uh, <laughs> the, the the forest of sadness or something. So um, I, I think what I actually think about this a lot, a lot about negativity. And I do think it's important for us to evaluate what we're putting out into the world. Yeah. Especially on certain platforms. A podcast is so much more humanizing. Yeah. I, I really get a sense of who you are, of the context you live in. And, you know. Well, it, depending on the show, but yeah. Yeah. But, you know, on Twitter, for example, um, if, if, if people go to follow me for the first time, they're like, okay, I'm just going to read a few of Justin's tweets. And they're all negative. They're all about me complaining. They're all, yeah. you know. And I do this all the time. I'll I'll be like, oh, this person seems interesting, and I'll go to their Twitter. And I'm like, oh, no, thanks. Like, yeah. 
I don't need that in my life. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I think we have to be careful about it, about what we're putting out into the world. The same, like, you know, it's, it's weird though. It's weird though because, like, if you go to look at the reviews of the Gently Mad, um, there are a lot of reviews where people will say stuff like, um, uh, despite Adam's uh, best efforts, um, it's an inspiring show or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. so it's almost like people, I don't know. It's it's like somehow the even though like. I come off as this person who is always in the middle of an existential crisis, which is true about me. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, there's a difference between being, I guess, uh, there's a difference between, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but there's a difference between what I think I do and being truly negative. Um, I, and I don't know how to separate them exactly, but there's clearly some difference in there because, you know, mm-hmm. who, who would want to listen to all the time? something that was just truly negative and depressing, you know? Yeah. No, I, I actually think that that characterization of you is completely incorrect. <laughs> um, I I mean, there was a period of your life where you were clearly down. Yeah. And I think people could could see that. But especially lately, like your emails are just, your emails are quite energetic and positive and hopeful and, you know, even the show, the tone of your voice is, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you're negative at all. Negative to me is like, well, that sucks. Well, yeah. Why'd you even try that? <laughs> well, pff, you're stupid. You know, you maybe know, like, that's it. Maybe the difference is, you know, I'm not as cynical as I used to be, and so there's less, there's just as much vulnerability about all the shit that's going on in my life, and a lot of times that is more downer stuff but if it's not cynical then it's uh it it can be it can still be entertaining and or um a positive listening experience maybe Mm -hmm. maybe that's what it is yeah yeah and i'm looking for this thing i said i wish there was a way to search everything like everything i've ever said on twitter everything i've ever written in my notes everything i've ever uh like i'm always searching i i have in my head i'm like i know i've i've well, dude, said this thing there's, before there's mega maker project 100 for you i know uh, i know build, yeah, build that's, it. Exa- so. that's exactly what i need i think <laughs> heat and shaw is actually building something like this but um ugh, it, it i had this observation which isn't going to appear like super you know, this is not like groundbreaking or anything, but yeah, the people who are constantly negative and constantly cynical, they don't win. Yeah. They just don't win. And it, it made me look at myself and go, man, it, um, and this kind of coincided with this Will Smith meme that I saw. I'm sure other folks have seen it and I've talked, I've referenced it on a bunch of podcasts now, but where he says, he talks about the difference between um, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And he gets into yeah. some heavy stuff. Like, it's not your fault. You were abused as a child. But it is your responsibility to figure out what you're going to do next. Like, yeah. that's your responsibility. And having him frame it like that, 
I think really made me evaluate my life and go, oh man. And then thinking, you know, looking at all the people I know who complain all the time. Except when it is your fault, though. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, if it is is your fault, he's saying the things that happen to you that aren't your fault, people can get so down about those things. Yeah. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. It doesn't, it, 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 there's no use in complaining all the time. Like, how come this person succeeded and I didn't? That's just not fair. Yeah. How come, how, how come these lucky breaks never happened to me? Right. How come, how come I'm the one that had to, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, whatever that voice is, I like that character. That should be a recurring, (laughs) recurring character. But yeah, I think part of it is just life experience though, because, um, you know, when I was in my twenties, I was very cynical, and part of it was because, uh, you know, I was a snob, and I'm still a snob, but um, there's, you know, the, the the last thing you want at a certain age is to be perceived as earnest and, um, you know, like, like bright-eyed and, you know, like, mm. you don't want to, like, when you're in high school or, or college, yeah. like, that's not the kind of person you want to be. You want to be... Especially the, the coming cool, out of the '90s, yeah, the cool. Like we had that, yeah, yeah. That was like, yeah. Uh, did you did you watch Singles when you were a kid? Do you remember no. the movie Singles? Do you remember? Oh, oh um, the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, that's kind of to me like the classic Gen X movie. Like no one wanted to appear too positive or too bright eyed or yeah. Um, well, but yeah. see, that's the thing. So that's that's the way it was for a long time, and then something switched where it's. Uh, it's like I don't want to be um, as fun as it is to be cynical and sarcastic and super like uh, you know witty and acerbic and just really sharp and all these things. Um, uh, I just don't want to be that way anymore. It's just is mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I want to be someone who is earnest and. Um, you know, who is, I, I guess, a believer, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, who's, who's, uh, has a more positive outlook on life. But I, I don't like mm-hmm. using the word positive outlook because I still think I have a very realistic outlook, which tends to be somewhat negative. I'm just saying there's, mm. there's a, there's, there's, that's why I say maybe it has to do with cynicism because there's a difference where I'm not as cynical anymore about things, but I still am always in the middle of some sort of existential crisis or another. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But there's not that sort of um, withdrawn cynicism attached to it. It's more, it's more, um, you know, I don't know why I keep using the word bright eyed, but that's, you know, that's the, the, that phrase to me, you know, connotes like the, the opposite of what I'm trying to say when I say cynical. So, yeah. um, So there's a difference. Yeah. And it just, it didn't happen until, I got older and I had kids and just things change and um, life doesn't look the same as it used mm-hmm. to. And yeah, it, yeah, you know, and there's, I, yeah. I think for me, I think for me, the big change was therapy because yeah. the, th- what the therapy and what my therapist kind of helped me see is in my case, how self-righteous I was. Yeah. And that self-righteousness, um, it really colors everything. It That's where my cynicism came from. It was this belief that I was better than people, but 
that well, they I, had I still, still have somehow, that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, but the belief that you're better than someone or more special than someone, but they have still somehow figured out a way to win. It, it, it just grates on you. Yeah. But w- once I realized, wait, no, wait a second. I, that is such a, a, a terrible belief. This, this, superiority complex yeah. and and I didn't even understand how it was coloring everything um and once I could see that that's when I was oh wait a second you know I got to wow I got to I got to watch what how I express myself I've got to watch you know I've got to really every time I tweet I should ask you know is it worth it yeah is it worth it to say this uh, oh, I know. Is it, help- is it helpful? Yeah, there's so many. 80% of my social posts get written and then deleted because it's like, uh, what's the point in sending this? Like, what's sure, this person or this thing I saw is utterly inane and stupid. And I would like to call out that um, just complete waste of brain space that it is but then what's mm-hmm. the point like honestly that's what goes to my head is what is the point of doing that it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything and so mm-hmm. um so i just delete it you know so yeah. I, I don't ever i don't ever get into i mean that's a whole other topic but i don't i don't understand all the the fighting that happens on social media. Cause I'm really like, what do you think you're accomplishing? Like, what do you think yeah. you're accomplishing? Nothing. Yeah. You're accomplishing nothing, you know? And it's like, you really think you're going to uh, attack someone on Twitter or Facebook because of their differing, you know, worldview or whatever. And that that's going to be a profitable conversation. Like I-, I think these people who do this, just enjoy that. Like they're not trying to change anything. They just want to have an argument. You know, that's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a, a a type of activism that needs to reach critical mass before it's effective. And this is especially true in politics. You know, if you, if you, you know, so, um, uh, you're really going to have to excuse me, Americans. I'm going (laughs) to give an American (laughs) history example, but I'm Canadian. But, you know, um, the, the whole, uh, black rights movement, that was, you know, that needed to re, that needed to reach critical mass. And there was a lot of thrashing and, you know, um, passion and, you know, activism that needed to occur for that to reach that scale, for there to be enough mass that, People were willing to get out and march in big numbers and actually get a politician's attention. Yeah. And I think that can be very effective, especially in politics. But I think sometimes people use that paradigm and, you know, attach it to every ideology. And it's actually not helpful (laughs) to have, you know, this kind of like really radical or aggressive um, activism uh, when you're, you know, you're you're trying to change somebody's mind because if you're attacking me, my my automatic, you know, reaction is going to be to defend myself or to fight back or to right. you know to be hurt or to be surprised, and it's it's not helpful. Uh, it, this actually reminds me of I was have, I was chatting with Cortland Allen, who's at Microconf. He's the yeah. founder of Indie Hackers. And I just think they've done a great job of creating a really 
positive community. The forums there are are really well moderated. Yeah. Uh, especially there's been a lot in the news lately about, you know, other online communities that are, you know, quite uh, caustic, especially to women and minorities. And I just find the the tone on indie hackers is quite respectful. And so I was like, how are you doing that? You know, what do you do when someone says something that's inappropriate? And I just, I love this image that he said. He said, you know what we do is we'll, first of all, we'll uh, delete the comment or hide the comment. And then we'll go and private message them and say, hey, just so you know, um, this is not okay. And just having someone take you aside and say, this is not okay, is such a big difference between Say, you know, publicly saying, you're a, you know, you're a racist or you're a, and, and yeah. instantly the person's first, they've been shamed publicly and now, you know, but just quietly taking them aside and saying, hey, this is not okay. And this is why is such an effective tactic. And he said that instead of having, they've done, have to do, have, they've had to do this hundreds of times. And in almost all of the cases, uh, the recipient took it with grace and humility and understanding. Yeah. He said there's one or two times where, you know, the person was angry. But that is, to me, is such a different idea. And then I was just reading, uh, I'm reading this book by Brene Brown called Rising Strong. Mm-hmm. And there's this one chapter right in the middle of it um, about, and I'm still wrestling with this idea, but this idea that most people are doing the best that they can in any given moment. Yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, we could talk about that for hours. Yeah. But one of the things she says in the context of that is that you still need to have boundaries and you still need to be able to express, this is what I want and need, or and also, this is okay and this is not okay. And having this very, uh, creating boundaries around what is okay and what is not okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she gives the example of her artist friend who on her website says, it's okay if you email me and ask me if you can use one of my art pieces in a blog post. That's okay. It's not okay if you print my artwork out and sell it as your own. Right. And just articulating that, just saying, this is okay. This is not okay. It's gracious. It's generous. It, you know, it clearly communicates what you want right? <laughs> without just assuming people will, you know, get what you want. And it, it also um, helps, I think, combat our self-righteousness. So when someone hurts us or does something we don't like, a, a self-righteous person almost likes it, you know? Like, yeah, totally. I love, like my favorite thing is to just like do chores all day and just be bitter about it. Like, oh, look at me. I'm doing all the fucking chores. And, you know, the rest of my family hasn't done a, a single thing. And I'm just like, I subconsciously, I'm like, I can't wait till I can bring this up in a just like yeah. self-righteous, like <laughs> moment of glory. Like, you people don't realize how good I am and how terrible you are, you know? Yeah. Um it, it combats self-righteousness because if I just said what I wanted and needed, if I said, uh, could you please unload the dishwasher, uh, that would, you know, or, hey, it's not okay for you to leave your socks on the floor, 
that's a lot different, right? It, it once you set the boundaries, now you have no excuse to right. be self-righteous or to be upset or to get angry. Yeah. And it it feels like I could deal with a lot of public criticism like that, you know, um I yeah, I you know, it's it is it is a really weird thing and you know, I I wanted to go back to one thing you said about therapy. It's uh that that's been a lot of my experience in therapy too. Is I'll, I'll talk for uh, or more like complain for forty five minutes or whatever, and you know uh, my therapist is the best therapist in the world because he's an old uh, uh, college uh, psychology professor and he's tall and he looks basically like. Does he have a beard? I was about to say he he looks like Gandalf in um in modern day clothes. <laughs> like if you took Gandalf but just took the robes out and put like normal oh clothes my on him. Gosh. That's what he looks like. And so you just feel That's too like perfect. Yeah. You just feel like you're getting wisdom. Just I mean, he's just yeah. he's got he nailed the look anyway. And yeah. um but that's usually what it is, is I will be complaining or talking and and um, and it's it's usually stuff it's it's stuff like that. It's like, well, um, you can either continue to be pissed off by these things or you can do something about it, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, um, what you want, you know, your spouse or whoever it is to do or change that, you know, you don't have any control over that, but, mm-hmm. but you can certainly do something about this thing that's bothering you. Um, and so whatever, whatever the thing is, you know, and, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, but I shouldn't have to do that, you know? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's where we go. But like, yeah, for me, like the whole thing is a lot of times, like I'm, I'm very excited to go, but a lot of times I find myself leaving therapy, um, feeling worse than I went in, mm. which is kind of weird. You think like, well, why would you do that? But it's, it's because a lot of the times, you know, I don't want to face, uh, the reality of a situation. And I'd rather mm-hmm. just, um, I'd rather just tell myself what I want to believe, but yeah. in therapy you're faced with the reality of the situation and you can't hang on to your, sometimes hanging on to the illusion is easier, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's so applicable to business. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yesterday I heard uh, Corbett Barr say, um, you know, they go through this whole podcast episode. Yeah. Corbett Barr has a podcast called Fizzle and uh, they go through the whole episode and the end he's, they, they, the other hosts want to wind down the conversation, and he and he's 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 really good at this. He says, "I just want to say one more thing." Yeah, he said, "If you have anxiety about your numbers, about your business numbers, the way to deal with that is not to keep ignoring it. The way to deal with it is to actually dive into your numbers, actually be honest and with yourself about what's coming in and what's going out." And then to do something about it, that that's how, yeah, <laughs> that's how. And you know, for me, um, uh, I think I've shared this publicly, but I had a really hard 2017 last year in terms of mental health. Yeah, and let's say the last six months of the year, I did not work very much, mm-hmm. and so I built up all of this reserves in my business account, and basically the last six months, it just got drained, <laughs> and so. Up. I used it all, and um, because I was too depressed, I, I I'd come into work and 
I couldn't. I, I would. So are you ready to rap- actually talk about what that was? <laughs> or because I've asked you and you've been like, eh, I can't say. And- yeah, I can't really talk about it. it was okay. it's very personal. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it was a bunch of personal. It had nothing to do with business. Erectile it was just, dysfunction, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. just <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> and um, see, like and- I say, there. I don't know. Was that too over the? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I never know where the line is. Like that old Friends episode. The line is a dot uh, to you. You know. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> But, you know, there was times where I couldn't, you know, I'd come into the office and, and by the way, I used to really look down on people that got depressed. I thought they were weak. I thought that, you know, they, I didn't understand why they couldn't just pull themselves up. I don't know. I didn't understand why they couldn't just be happy. And now I get it. I've never had that because I've been depressed since I was six. So it's, well, uh, and, (laughs) and this is something I've been saying now is I have so much respect for people that have been struggling with depression for a long time. Because I basically experienced it for a year, and it almost killed me. It well, here's, was it. It was awful. Well, here's the thing. You know, I, I I talked to my therapist about this. I was like, you know, I have friends who, you know, they live here in Chattanooga and they have a simple job. One of them drives an ice truck. He delivers ice to local businesses. He does that every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Comes home, has dinner with his wife hangs out in their living room, goes to bed, and then gets up and does the same thing again. And he has no ambition for anything beyond that. He seems perfectly happy, like genuinely happy and mm-hmm. um, content with his life. And uh, and I was like, why can't I um, ever be like that? Why can't I ever just be content and not worry? When I say worry, I don't worry mm-hmm. like you know, wringing my hands, worry, like, um, anxiety, but why can't I, why am I always bothered by all these other things, like these bigger issues of meaning and purpose and fulfillment? And why am I here? And am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? All these things. And, you know, his response was like, you know, if, if you have, okay, and I'm probably going to offend people here, but I mean, I look at depressed people as smart people because like what he said is, you know, if you have any amount of, you know, just awareness of the world and, you know, your place in it, you're mm-hmm. going to have some sort of, of, you know, discomfort or depression, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, it's, you're just going to like, it's not, yeah. so it's not like there's something wrong with me is what he was trying to say. He was just saying that, you know, um, it's true that ignorance is bliss and, and usually, and I don't know, maybe this is totally wrong, but the people that are just completely carefree, happy, just mm-hmm. aren't thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I think that there's probably some truth to that. It reminds me of, uh, Dan Harmon had this great tweet storm about how to deal with depression. Yeah. And the first tweet in it, in it, he says, um, Okay, so number one, he says, admit and accept that it's happening. Awareness is everything. We put ourselves under so much pressure to feel good. It's okay to feel bad. And then he says, it might be something you're good at. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And so he says, communicate it. Do not keep it a secret. Own it like a hat or jacket. Your feelings are real. And so I I think that's interesting. I I mean, I definitely lived a lot of my life. I am naturally a a happy person that I I am chipper. I am too. I am sunny to a fault. Um, And uh, but there's a difference between that and a sort of 
like you said, like, come on, man, there's nothing, you know, just be happy, you know? Yeah. Like, it, oh, no, totally. Yeah. And and to be, to be honest, the other thing that therapy's helped me with is I used to do the opposite of what Dan Harmon is saying here. I used to think feelings were not to be trusted. I used to think feelings were bad. I used to think that emotion was bad. So when someone would show emotion, I'd be like, uh, stop showing so much emotion. Like, yeah. we're just, you know, and... Uh, you know, understanding that that's real is so, has been so healthy. Do you see um, a difference between emotion and sentiment? Um, because like I do, like I would say I'm a, I'm a not an emotional person. Like I, hmm. my happy face is the same as my angry face, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it's actually a joke in my family. Like we look at picture, we look back at pictures of like Christmas or whatever. And it's like, you know, Jessica's like, man, you really have serious, like, resting bitch face or whatever. And I'm like, that's, I was happy in that moment. Can't you tell? Like, look at look at my face. I was excited for that thing you got me. She's like, no, yeah. you, you look completely disinterested. So I'm not very emotional. Like, it's hard. It, it takes a long time before I snap and get angry and start yelling or something like that. But yeah. I'm highly sentimental um, mm-hmm. so that, you know things uh, uh i don't know how to phrase it things mean stuff like like things like um you know i'm i'm a really big like romantic in that way so like you know birthdays the anniversaries and holidays and like those things mean something to me and like i would be really upset to not get mm-hmm. a card or something like that but Sorry, um, but Adam. i'm not emotional <laughs> so like like i mean do you do you see a distinction between those things well, I think what you've said is what you've just identified is that you're not very outwardly emotional. But to me, what you're you that that's feelings. You, so you're saying I feel feelings very strongly, and uh, there's certain things that I feel strongly about. And yeah, I I think that's true for everybody. Um, I I think wh- where some of us get into trouble is we when those feelings come up. Like I, I used to say, like those feelings would come up, and I'd be like, eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it's okay that that person didn't call me on my birthday. That doesn't bother me, you know? Yeah. And when, in, in reality, I, it's, I think it's important to identify that, you know what? No, wait, I'm having these feelings. Well, like, the, the reason I say I that is because, it. like, my wife is the opposite. Like, she's highly emotional, but mm-hmm. not very sentimental. Like, um, hmm. it would not bother her at all <clears throat> if I... Uh, forgot our anniversary. I mean, it might bother her a little bit, but it's not going to be a big deal. Like this, in yeah. fact, this past year, I made a big deal about it being our 10th anniversary and it was actually our 11th anniversary. Um, <laughs> so like no big deal, no big deal. Like if, 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 uh, you know, uh, it's mother's day and she doesn't get flowers, no big deal. Like that, that stuff doesn't bother her. But yeah, you know, on the outside, like in an argument or a conversation, um, like there's a massive difference between her happy face and her angry face. You know what I mean? So like she's very emotional and quick to display emotion, but she's yeah. not super sentimental, you know? And so, yeah. um, you know, things like that don't, you know, yeah. that necklace that I bought her 10 years ago or whatever, isn't that important to her. Whereas to me, like that's far more important than, you know, something that might be, uh, than, oh, than yeah. expressing, you know, expressing some sort of emotion about the story she's telling me, you know, whereas yeah. she'd much rather have that than like the, the, the symbol or the artifact, you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it seems there like we definitely value different things and that's been helpful for me too. Like I, there's certain 
there's certain things that I like more than other people or certain ways I like to be treated that are yeah. different than other people. There's, you know, that and that, uh, <laughs> again, I, my therapist, I really, if, if people are still listening right now. <laughs> this I, is why I th- people listen to this show. So I think people are listening. But anyway. I, the one thing I want everybody to do, whether, you know, whether they feel good or bad or whatever, is to go see a therapist. Because yeah. even I, what I wish I had done is I had built a relationship with a therapist. I had built some a rapport with a therapist before shit hit the fan. Because yes. then I was... I was in a really bad place and I had no one to turn to and I still had the same kind of uh, obstacles and friction that everyone has when they, they're thinking about therapy. Like, uh, you know, that person can't really help me or, oh, that would be super awkward or I don't have the time, I don't have the money. You know, there's all these excuses that... yeah people make up and I still had those but I was like fucked up and so yeah. by the time I finally got into her office and you know finally sat on the couch and started talking to her uh, there'd been a lot of damage done and so if if I'd done that before it would have been so much better and it honestly like I, I know there's I come from a very um I don't come from, my family's not super emotionally open mm-hmm. uh, and they're quite conservative. They're awesome. They're, but they're a little bit old school. We didn't talk a lot about mental health growing up. I don't think very many people did actually. And, you know, there, to me, I was like, well, my, you know, no one in my family that I know of ever went to a therapist. They've probably all been to therapy and I didn't realize yeah. it, you know? And so the no, I don't think in the circles we grew up in, which were similar, um, mm-hmm. stuff like depression, mental health, you know, that stuff was just perceived as like a sin problem. You know, it was a, spir- oh, yeah, it was just, a spiritual problem. You know, you yeah, like, just you don't read your Bible more. Yeah, you don't need a therapist. You should pray more. And yeah, um, and so yeah, I don't think a lot of us did uh, go to those, you know, those things, but. Mm-hmm. What you just said, though, is also super applicable. We keep saying this is really applicable to business, and then we never talk about business, but that's mm-hmm. also super applicable to business in terms of um, doing something before you need it. I think I just tweeted that or Instagrammed that or something. Yeah. Like, I'm feeling right now, like, you know, hey, uh, you know, sort of pro tip uh, create processes before you need the processes. <laughs> because. Yeah. Uh, if you wait until you need something to do it, then um, it's just a lot harder, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to do it when, you know, and, and that direct, directly relates to like when I talk to my wife, when we're talking about therapy and arguments and communication issues, it's like the time to bring up that thing that annoys you is not in the middle of an argument, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, that's, yeah. That's not the time to bring that up and say, oh, by the way, you know, it's yeah. like the time to bring that up is when we're feeling great and we're feeling really like in love or whatever and it's everything's yeah. good. That's when you bring that up, uh, not when we're, you know, at each other about something. And yeah. so I just think that's just generally applicably true across the board that uh, the time to do things or create things or build whatever it is, is before money, whatever it is, is before you really need it and I've never really yeah. done that in my life I've always just kind of responded to you know I'm always kind of reacting to the waves you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
trying to get out of that this year, but it's hard because that's the only way I know how to live, really. That's the only way I have lived. Yeah. And actually, this is a good time for me to come full circle and go, you know, back to my story, which was, you know, end of 2017, I'm, I'm just spent. Like I've, yeah. I've used all of my get out of jail free cards. I've, you know, I, and, you know, um, one of the advantages I had is I did have an audience. I did have customers and I did have products. And so my get out of free, get out of jail free cards were, okay, well, you know what? I don't have the emotional energy right now to build something new or to really do anything, but I can just relaunch this thing that I have. And um, that saved me. <laughs> you yeah. know, like ha- having those those things that I was like, okay. You mean like um, financially or what do you mean? How did it save Yeah, you? financially. Yeah, okay. so yeah. Uh, for example, I've got uh, Mega Maker Club, which is a membership site I've run since 2013 for indie entrepreneurs, uh, mostly uh, people building software. So solopreneurs that are bootstrapping their- I didn't know it was a club. I thought it was, uh, okay, well, that, we need to talk about that. But anyway, go ahead. It, it started off as JFDI. Oh, and then, okay, okay. I'm familiar with and that. Then it, yeah. yeah, and then it was, I renamed it Product People Club. And then I'm trying to bring everything under the Mega Maker brand. Uh, brand. Yeah. And so uh, I renamed it to Mega Maker Club. Um, but the way that works is I, you know, I only, I, I want the quality to be really high and I don't want people to just be joining all the time willy nilly. I want yeah. them to, there to be this onboarding process. So I close registration and I open registration and being able to open registration when I was depressed <laughs> was very helpful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, uh, get to the end of 2017, but I'm spent. I've, I've used all of the things I can use. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've drained all of that buffer I'd built up in my business bank account. You know, like my, where I like to be is I like to have six months worth of expenses in the business account. Well, wouldn't we all, Justin? (laughs) Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't that be great? But, you know, and life happened, you know, I, I, all of a sudden I had to pay my corporate taxes and then I had to, you know. Things just no, kept you know, happening. You can just not pay those things. That's what I do. Um. <laughs> and uh, back to your th- your your comment about processes. You know, I I always thought, well, you know what? Because I, I pay my corporate taxes in bulk, and I'm always like, ah, you know what? Next year, I'll start. I'll set aside an account, yeah. and I'll every time I get paid, I'll take money out of there for taxes. But I never do it. And man, that would have been so helpful. When things got bad. Yeah. Um, well, like and, my, my, oh, go ahead. I want you to actually finish your story. Um, uh, and then I'll say that. Well, no, you can, ahead. you can jump in now if you want. I, I, well, all I was going to say is that like my specific example for was like, even if you're a freelancer and you're doing whatever you do as a freelancer, if you think that there's even the slightest chance that someday you will hire someone or you will bring on a contractor to help you or an assistant or whatever, just mm-hmm. turn on, you know, freaking uh, ScreenFlow and, and, and record some of uh, the things that you're doing. Because once you get to that point that you've brought on a team or whatever, and now you have to have the processes and that's the bottleneck and that's the blocker and nothing's happening. It's so mm-hmm. much harder then. So like that was what was in my head when I said, you know, make this stuff before you need it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And uh, again, you want to have some insurance policies for yourself. Like you want to know that, um, you know, I, I really grumbled about going and getting disability insurance for myself yeah. uh, and my, my wife. I was like, oh, man, it's I so know. expensive. And it's just, it feels like such a waste, but yeah. It feels a way, like a waste. But then when I got depressed, um, I mean, I couldn't use the disability insurance, but I, it made me think of like if something did happen to me physically. Which is weird, man. though. I mean, you, you know, depression is a medical thing. Like we know that. Doctors know that. It's caused by chemical mm-hmm. imbalances and stuff so it's weird that things like that aren't covered but that's a whole yeah. that's a whole other, other conversation yeah as well. i mean and honestly maybe it was and maybe i should have looked into it more but you want to have some insurance policies for yourself and yeah. one insurance policy is definitely to have processes and good habits now right. when you know and it actually made me think a lot about this whole solopreneur thing this yeah. whole uh like in what way the, well, this BS that we buy into that it's got to be all one all about me. All one person. Uh I'm just one person running business, don't need help from anybody. Um you know, I'm not Well, no, no, no can, solopreneur is is an actual solopreneur. I well, mean, except that's that's how I was trying to run my business. Was, oh, okay. You know, it's all me. And yeah. uh I mean, thankfully, I had you know, people had pushed me to say, you know, you should hire some contractors. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, I have an accountant, I have a bookkeeper, I have, uh, Tim Aton in Spokane. He does a lot of writing for me. Yeah. I know Um, Tim. Gary Bacon. I don't know where Gary lives, but Gary's a good web developer. He does a lot of web development stuff for me. Uh, so at least I had some folks and I was able to tell them both, uh, like especially Gary and Tim, like guys, I'm really not doing good. And you know, if you see opportunities to help, that'd be great. And and they did. Like there was, they they really um, kind of sustained a lot of what I was doing during yeah. that time. So uh, yeah, and and now going back to that Will Smith thing. Okay, you know, uh, this is the situation I'm in. And, you know, some of it's my fault. Some of it's not my fault. But what am I going to do about it? And uh, that is kind of where I found myself in 2018. And, um, yeah, so now I think part of what I'm thinking is, okay, yeah, you know what? I don't have the resource. I need to use all this money coming in the door right now. I need to use it to pay bills, and I need to use it for this and that. But I need... You know what I really need to do is change my Stripe deposits to every Monday instead of like right now they're just willy nilly all over the place. Yeah. Um, and change it to all my Stripe deposits come in on Monday and instantly, as soon as they get deposited into my bank account, I take, you know, whatever it is, I take 15% and I put it aside for corporate taxes. I take another whatever and I set aside for personal taxes. I take, yeah, and, I, I can do that now. Uh, it'll be hard, but that's something that not as hard as getting to the end of the year again and having to scramble to somehow pay this, you know, whatever, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 bill. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I'm thinking about. Like every day, okay, what can I do that's a step forward? What can I do that's healthy? What can I do that's going to move me forward? And... um 
and how can I don't waste time, <laughs> you know, don't, don't do stuff that doesn't matter. Do stuff that matters. Yeah. And you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at. And, um, and also I, I'm starting to think kind of balance, like what can I do right now? Like what's, um, I, I've had this idea of balancing chaos and order. And I, I feel like I embraced too much chaos in my life, you know, yeah. like deciding to make a hundred things in a year is just chaotic and stupid. <laughs> it's just too much. I need to be grounded. It, you can you can take risks when you're grounded. You can take you can you can do adventurous, creative, interesting things when you're you've got some order in your life. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I'm. What I'm thinking now is okay. Mega Maker is what pays the bills. And so what am I going to do every day that's like my job, that's going to pay the bills now? And so I've opened up more coaching slots. I've, um, you know, I incre- people have been telling me for years to increase my prices. I'm increasing my prices. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, working on uh, a new product called Product Validation Checklist, which was something I was building for myself. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this for my audience and I'm also doing it in a very iterative um, way. So I built like uh, like 10, 20% of it. And then I did an early access. And yeah. then I built another 10, 20%. And I opened up another 20 spots. And I'm, you know, just kind of step by step. Okay, what am I going to do to feed my kids, to pay the mortgage, to do all that stuff today? Yeah. Balancing that, so that's going to become the order in my life, right? I know that you know certain things I've done, like marketing for developers and Mega Maker Club and Tiny Marketing Wins, all these things. These are things I can continue to build on. I can do relaunches, and they, uh, you know, so far I've been lucky. People keep buying them. Yeah. On the other side is the chaos. What am I going to do and try for the future? That's going to, that I can start now, that's going to have a, you know, pay dividends in the future or hopefully will pay dividends in the future. And for me, that's Transistor.fm, this podcasting startup I've started with John Buddha. And, um, you know, there's, that's a huge risk. I've only put money into that. I haven't got any money out. Uh, It doesn't feed my kids. It is... You know, uh, it's what I really want to work on because I love, I love the chaos of it. I love the newness of it, but I can only do that after my needs are met. I can only do that out of a place of being grounded and having some order. That's where I get to try that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's been, um, I mean, I don't want to paint a false picture and say, I just solved all my problems. I'm great. You know, like I, 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 I actually, that's not I like, tr- actually, I like that character better. I like, <laughs> I'll stick with that one. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to try to make a Tennessee reference, but I don't think that's a Tennessee accent. No, that's more of like a, a, a Disney cartoon. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> think yeah. Than, that's right. than Southern. <laughs> no, I can I can do the you know if you want Tennessee summed up in a second it's uh Ermiger, Trump is awesome so yeah <laughs> you know that's uh that's, that's actually that's my what favorite I hear character all day long so my favorite character of you is uh is Tennessee accent 
uh, like the person behind you at Starbucks and you doing impressions <laughs> know, of them. I know. Oh, oh, those are the best. <laughs> I love, I love doing that. It's, and my wife doesn't believe that I've actually ordered <laughs> drinks that way before. She's like, you did not because she knows me. Like there's certain things that would be embarrassing to me. Like I couldn't do what Chase Reeves does. I couldn't do the voices, um, you know, uh, in, in the actual moment. Um, yeah. but this one guy was just, it was just too much. I mean, it was, I, I can't even, it, it, it was just, I mean, seriously, it was like, where the fuck do I live? You know? I mean, he was like, I want a grandy ma- matcha, grand, grandy matcha. And, uh, the, the Starbucks person was like, okay, uh, grande mocha. And he was like, no, a matcha. And it was, uh, you know, or, you know, like th- these people trying to pronounce a uh, macchiato. It's, it's, uh, I, I hate this state. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Chattanooga seems cool to me. Chattanooga but- actually is cool. Nashville's cool. But, um, it were the prox that the redneck proximity is, is the issue. Um, yeah. And that's actually kind of true everywhere. That was in California when we lived there too. But, um, oh yeah, still it's, uh. Anyway, but uh, for sure, what were you anyway, saying before want, we got off? I don't from- want to paint a picture of yeah. that. You know, I, I've solved all my problems. I'm in the process of solving my problems. Right. I'm in the process of trying to get better. I'm in the process of taking one day at a time. Um, all those things, and um, that. But without, <laughs> without all that background work, like without going to therapy, without you know, wrestling with some of these things without admitting to myself that, you know, yes, some of the stuff wasn't your fault. Some of it was your fault. Yeah. But you have a responsibility to fix it. Just bemoaning the fact that you're in this position does not help anything. Yeah. And all these things I used to get down about, like um, my wife and I have four kids and that was something, I love my kids, but I would often... Um, be like, ah, oh, woe is me. We had kids too young and now we're stuck. And it's like having four anvils around your ankle and you can't move <laughs> fast. And, you know, all this stuff. That's awful stuff. Yeah. Um, but but by we've the way, all I felt it. So, I mean, yeah, it's not but, bad I, to admit. I, I, I don't think it's okay to say, you know what? I think it, it is better <laughs> For most people to not have so many kids, having a lot of kids is really hard. And I wish some people had told me that before. Um, (laughs) I I just got a lot of like church people saying, oh, no, it's all a blessing. And each one you have is better than the last. (laughs) I remember I remember telling my brother-in-law, calling him um, when my wife and I got pregnant. That wasn't the first pregnancy I've experienced in my life. Um, Well, not that I personally have experienced any of them. But anyway, and he was like. He's like, well, you, you did it again, huh? You know, it was like, it was like, uh, like, like I'm, I, I have nothing for you this time around, man. You yeah. know, um, you just can't, don't seem to learn from your, your lessons. So, and again, like how, how many kids people have and all that stuff, that's their decision. But again, that's we come back to the Will Smith thing. Like, so that's where I am. But it's my responsibility now to 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 be a good dad, and to now I I am responsible for these four people, and I have I I'm responsible to love them, and they are yeah. they're incredible. But I, I'm saying there's a shift in thinking, yeah, of being kind of the self righteous, self obsessed, 
you know, self-pitying person. And again, I'm not, I'm not even trying to diminish how hard, I mean, I'm a white male in Canada. Like my life is not even in my worst moments yeah. compared to most people. Uh, and so I don't want to speak really for too many people, but in my life saying, you know what? Okay. Yeah. This, this is where I'm at. Yeah. What am I going to do about it? What responsibility can I take right now? and move forward. How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better provider? How can I be a better business person who actually wants to make other people's lives better? Yeah. How can I actually, how can I do that? And, um, it, I, I wrote this piece called focus on your own shit. Uh, I think probably a year or two ago. Yeah. And, it basically talks at the time it was talking about jealousy and comparing myself to others and being bitter about their success. And uh, the conclusion I came to in the business context is none of that really is motivating <laughs> to help you be better. Yeah. The, the key is to just focus on the people you're trying to serve. And when you do that and you kind of ignore everything else, okay, Sure, those people have made a billion dollars on the internet doing their thing. That's great. Who am I going to serve? How am I going to help them? You know, how can I make their lives better? That's what gets me out of that funk when it comes to business. And that's actually, to be honest, going back to something we said earlier, I have to get on the phone with real people or meet them in person and really be open to their struggle, really kind of sit with them in their context and get an understanding for, okay, if, if I'm going to make money, what, if I'm going to make money by helping people, I have to actually sit with those people and see, you know, what are they motivated to change in their life? And, um, and that, yeah, that's been helpful in a business context. And the, the, when we get into desperation mode, when we get depressed, when we all those things happen, it's very difficult to step outside of ourselves and say, okay, 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 but how am I going to help people? And yeah. um, and honestly, it's it's probably why we need to be so grounded as entrepreneurs because, like. You can you can get away with a lot more at a day job. Like if you're just going in and punching in, and oh, you know, yeah. if you feel shitty one day, you just pull up an Excel sheet and make it look like you're crunching numbers, and you you can kind of emotionally sustain yourself for weeks like that. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. But when you're running your own business, it's like no, you've you got to be healthy yeah. healthy enough that you can look outside yourself and not be so anxious and desperate. You know, so that, and you actually can help other people. <laughs> well, that's part of the act- point of of building, like for me this year, 2018, building mm-hmm. an actual business. Um, not that my decade of freelancing wasn't a business. I mean, it was a legal business and I did treat it like a business with processes. And you know, in other words, I was a professional. But the point is, is that um, it was just me. And if... If I didn't work, 
then nothing happened. And mm-hmm. I don't know what you want to call that. Maybe that's what is called freelancing. But what I'm saying now um, in, in, in starting a business, it it means that if I am sick one day or if I want to take a vacation or even if I want to begin to remove myself from the business, it still operates and still uh, provides me income. And so I, I don't know... I don't know if there's a name for those two different things. Maybe it is just business and freelancer, but um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the whole point of, of a business, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. so that you can, you can do that. I mean, I don't know anyone who really, uh, well, I don't know. I I don't want to classify everyone, but does anyone really want to just be a freelancer for the rest of their lives? Like literally with the second they stop working, that's the second they stop making money. I mean, I don't Mm. know. I, I think there's a way to do freelancing so that doesn't happen. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, uh, th- you know what this reminds me of is, so in my bitter self-righteous moments, uh, I'd look at someone like my friend Paul Jarvis. Uh, he was yeah. just on your show. He, you just, well, you just published this episode. Folks, go mm-hmm. back and listen to it. It's really great. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Paul and I have been meeting together with Jared Drysdale, another really solid person. Yeah. Um, I'm very you know, jealous been, of your little group, by the way. I would, I'd pay you guys money to let me in, just so you know. Bring it up to, bring it up to Jared and Paul. You know, you could both make a little extra. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you know, and I can look at Paul and his success over the past four years. I go, ah, and Paul is a very systems-driven person. Yeah, like he implements systems. He's got this great content and launch calendar that he does. That, yeah. um, you know, I see it and. When you're bitter and cynical and resentful, you go, well, great. Way to go, Paul, with your <laughs> systems. Good work. You know, like, and the truth is, I need to implement that in my business. I can't just keep looking at folks going, oh, that works for you, but it would never work for me. <laughs> All these voices are going to be gathered into a, a, an extended clip, by the way. <laughs> And, you know, to, to be honest, like Nathan Barry is my friend and I would often look at him too and be like, oh, way to go, Nathan, you're 20-something, you've got all this great, you know. And the truth is, I'm just a dummy. I'm just an ignorant idiot because they would work on... Oh, and uh, Sean McCabe and I had this conversation too. Because <laughs> in person... You know, Sean is just so uh, earnest. He's yeah. just the, so earnest. Totally. And when you <laughs> when you want to be like an old uh, crab, yeah. You know uh, that that kind of earnestness is just like you're just like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's so he's just earnest, and so we would be talking, and I'd be like, you know, this is my life, and you know, I'm just a haggard old man, and you know, and he'd be like, well, why don't like you know what's really helped me is, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, shut up, you know, like, <laughs> but we can't ignore those things. Yeah, that's why we're not winning. I, you know, I was just I, at the beginning. I think I said negative people don't win. That's what I mean. Like if you're if if you're like out there in the world and you keep losing and then these earnest people come up to you and you go, well, I don't know. Have you thought about maybe trying this? And you go, well, shut up. (laughs) You dumb. You know, it's just we 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 
we're whipping ourselves. We're we're yeah. we're we're sabotaging our own lives. Yeah, we're handicapping because, ourselves. Yeah, we're handicapping ourselves because we don't want to admit that this younger, more earnest person maybe has figured out something that we haven't. That yeah. may be the reason we're grumpy and self obsessed and haggard and things never work out for us. Maybe. <laughs> It's because that advice that we keep hearing or that evidence that we keep seeing, uh, you know, where people implement systems and processes and healthy habits and, you know, all these things, maybe that is for us. Yeah. And we need to just accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, James Clear, he's another person. He's <laughs> like James Clear and his healthy habits. I'm, you know, there's and actually meeting these people in person is so helpful because when you're just reading their stuff on the internet and their little you know pithy quotes on the internet, it's just so easy to be like cynical about it. Like, oh, <laughs> nice blog post, James. I'm yeah. sure that's really improved your life. <laughs> I'm gonna go work out and drink five gallons of water now and right. eat my veggies. You know, <laughs> but. When you meet them in person and you see their humanity and you just see, oh, wait a second, this is just a human being that's just like really trying to make good choices. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, that's really worked out for them. Maybe I yeah. should try that. I know. Yeah. And it's not, to say, again, it's not to say, like my life is way fucking harder than James's life. I, I had four kids by the time I was uh, 28. Yeah. And, you know, he had his first kid way after that, for sure. I don't even I don't know if he has kids, but that for sure, my life is different and harder and whatever. But what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Does that mean that when James comes along and goes, well, have you tried this? And I go, well, that would just never work, James. You just don't understand. You know, (laughs) it's like, well, now I feel like you're doing it on purpose. But yeah. (laughs) <laughs> these but these are literally the real like that was kind of like my uh my teenager voice. Yeah. These are all <laughs> voices I have in my head that right. I come out in my personality. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, well you're not even going to try it? Yeah. You you're just going to sit there in your muck and your gloom and not even try? Yeah. Well, and okay, that's, sure. that's where cynicism Maybe it's harder, may, and maybe it's harder for me. Maybe my pack is hard, is heavier than his. Or may, maybe there's shit about him I don't know. Or maybe I'm a white male living in Canada, and my pack is actually a lot lighter than like 99% <laughs> of the world. Maybe. Just right? maybe, yeah. Just maybe. So what what good does it do for me to think that my life's so terrible and that I can't improve it? Yeah. No, the only good it does is it it lets you, it lets you off the hook. Um, yes, cynicism kind of gives you that same thing. It's like you don't have to care. You don't have to, you know. It it, it lets it lets you off it lets you off the hook of having to really, uh, you know, deal with the worst feelings, which are maybe I'm right where I am because of the decisions I've made, and there's no one mm-hmm. else to blame or, or no other situation to blame and. It, Mm-hmm. It's just actually my fault, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, but that that's why I like that Will Smith advice, because maybe there are some things that aren't your fault. Right. And, but the, the same advice applies. Yeah, definitely. Which is, okay, you're in this situation. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. 
How can you improve your situation? So what for and, you, what what did uh, uh, the end, end of 2017, you, when you're mm-hmm. thinking about this stuff, um, when you're saying that to yourself, okay, so I'm yeah. here, but what can I do? First of all, what mm-hmm. was what was there like when I when I said I'm here? Like, what did that look like? What was your situation that you were feeling like you didn't exactly cause, but nonetheless, it's where you were? And then, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? Like, what were those two things? Well, I mean, I, I've described some of it, which is you know, <laughs> you're like, uh, have you I'm, been listening, I'm, Adam, for the last ninety I, I, minutes? I, I, okay, you know, I, my the the business bank account is way down. <laughs> it's it's not where I want it to oh, be. Okay, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm emotionally just spent. I, I emotionally I. I'm exhausted. Okay, so can you say um, why? Like, I don't want you to get into like what it was that was depressing you so much, but I've dealt mm-hmm. with that a ton. I've talked about it on the show that I I reached that point three years ago, and I quit. And the result of me quitting was feeling a tremendous amount of shame because I assumed that everyone out there would think I was a total loser for quitting because I had spent Mm. months telling people not to quit and work through the dip Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 and all that Mm. Seth Godin, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so it's, and then I did it. And so I felt like I can't show my face here anymore, but so what, uh, what made you feel emotionally spent? Well, it was just dealing with all that stuff, all these issues I'd been sweeping under the carpet forever in my personal life. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the time I was a kid. So it was and, mostly personal things. It wasn't like, you know, bad oh, business yeah. habits or whatever. I mean, it, some, it, it all bleeds into each other, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Like, like um, my ego was, I, I didn't think I was egotistical. I didn't think <laughs> that I was... Um, well, you never do you if kn- you are, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the problem. But, you know, I, I just... I just had a total epiphany I'm going to tell my wife about. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I, so dealing with the ego was huge. E- and I haven't read that book, but Ego is the Enemy. Yep. Um, there's something about that that I just keep that line. I just keep thinking, like, Ego is the Enemy. Even, like, you being ashamed to tell people that, you know, okay, I was telling you this, but now I'm doing this. What what's at stake there is your ego. Yeah. It's saying publicly admitting I was wrong. I'm just a human being, and you know maybe I was pretending I had it all together and that I I was on this course to absolute success and I was teaching you guys all how to get there. But uh, it turns out that uh, my life didn't turn out that way. Yeah. Well, ego's the enemy. It's just the enemy. And so for me to go through that, that was the first one. Was like. Okay, that I've really got to rumble with the ego here and yeah. and and figure this out. And then it was, you know, for the first time in my life, really, being this privileged kid that grew up with great parents and oldest of four kids, and you know, uh, just an awesome life up to that point. I had to deal with this this really hard period of feeling like I got laid out like over and over again as these things in my life just caught up with me these uh, the I, I had been running from feeling uncomfortable my whole life and I you know 
any sort of discomfort, I tried to avoid like the plague. And so, and I got away with it for so long. Like, you know, uh, everything from, uh, you know, I had a little system in school for charming the teacher and, you know, getting on side. And then I just got away with murder um, and didn't have to put in the hard work, Uh, you know, and the... And that pattern just kept repeating itself. I, I would just, anything kind of uncomfortable, any uncomfortable feelings or reality or, you know, I just didn't want to deal with it. I feel like, I feel like, you know, we're the same in that. Um, and I would have categorized it differently than you that I have spent my whole life um, trying to keep other people from feeling uncomfortable or upset. Hmm. But hearing you say that makes me kind of realize that my effort to keep other people um, like being the peacemaker and always trying to, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like jump in the middle and be like, Hey guys, let's let, you know, um, like keep everyone happy. It was really just maybe a, a way to, um, cause I can't deal with those kinds of feelings. You know, my my wife and I get in an argument, um, Mm -hmm. It, I have to resolve it. Like it has to be resolved. I have to know she's okay and she's not mad at me or nothing yeah. else can happen in life until that occurs. And that drives her yeah. insane, but that's the way I am. And, um, yeah. and so maybe that is just that desire to keep everyone happy all the time, um, mm-hmm. is just a desire to, uh, keep me from having to deal with it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, you're, you're, you're a better person than me <laughs> because, you actually want the other person to feel better. I just don't want to feel uncomfortable. But that's what that's I just my don't point wanna, is that I don't know yeah. that it is necessarily out of this concern for the other person. I think it's the fact that I can't deal with those feelings myself, feeling like they're like there's a problem. And because I can't deal with it, the way that I deal with it is by um, trying to prevent those problems from happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there's this tweet by Munib Ali. He's uh, at Munib uh, on Twitter, but he says, hard conversations, easy life. Easy conversations, hard life. And yeah. uh, the reason I, I favorited it is because I'm like, oh, that is like not just conversations, but like hard confrontations, easy life. Easy confrontations, hard life. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, all of those things, hard work. Easy life, uh, easy work, hard life. It's just, it's all, it, yeah, it, that's it's true. so true. And so, you know, my, from, with my kids, for example, when they would start whining, instead of confronting it, I would just not want to feel the discomfort of having this whining kid. So I would be trying to do the easiest, quickest thing to appease them so that they would just stop whining. Oh, man. Now, you can you can see the problem here. Well, yeah, uh, and now they're I'm teenagers, a, right? And and now I've yeah, now it's we're uh, luckily my wife is not like this, and so okay, they they, they turn out okay. But the <laughs> I, I can see the damage of that now. Yeah, of me being so selfish and just not wanting to have this conversation, not wanting to confront this right now, not want just being like, okay, I just don't want to feel this way, and it's because I you know I couldn't. I, I didn't think feelings were real. I, you know, yeah. There's all this st- stupid shit. But this is so true in business. Like, uh, dealing with the hard stuff now, easier future. Yep. Not dealing with the hard stuff now, way harder, shittier future. Yeah. Like, that's just the truth. 
um, and Cortland Allen, you know, dealing with these people and indie hackers, taking that person aside and saying, hey, I mean, that's a hard conversation. It's so uncomfortable. Like, you've got to take this person aside and go, hey, this is not okay. And you don't know if they're going to get angry, you know. But way better to do that up front, to be proactive about yeah. it, than to let it fester forever. And once a virus like that infects your community, it just, you can't. It's like one bad whatever ruins the batch, right? Yeah. And so... Man, that that principle has just been reinforced over and over again. And it turns out I'm real shitty at it. And now I need to practice at it. I need to get better at it. I need to exercise that muscle. Uh, And it's hard because my inclination is I just want to, you know, do the easy thing. I want to pick up the easy wins. I want to, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And um, the, 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 what what actually has a long term impact is the hard work now, and everything that I'm good at. Like I'm a, I'm not I don't want to I don't want to brag, but I'm pr- I'm a pretty good writer. Yeah, and the reason I'm a pretty good writer is in English eleven and twelve grade eleven and twelve. Uh, Doctor Nyberg was my teacher, and she made us write an essay every single week. Yeah. And it was uncomfortable. It was hard. We hated it. We didn't understand why she was making us do it. It's just like a new three-point essay every week. And then she wasn't even nice when she marked it. <laughs> that was She so, was harsh. That was so funny. And then... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's so many. I don't know how I'm going to possibly title this or intro this. There's like a hundred <laughs> options. Oh my goodness! And you know, I can and remember then... this. I can remember this girl, Sarah, Sarah, right next to me. She put up her hand one time, and she was like, "You gave me a bad mark." And we're all feeling this, like, "What's up, Doctor Nyberg?" Like, yeah. And Doctor Nyberg's like, "Yeah, that's how you're going to get better, right? You know, I don't just hand out. This is advanced placement English. I don't just give you a good. I don't give marks out to make you feel good, right? I give marks out so that you improve." Yeah. And again, we we did not understand. Like in the in the midst of it, we were like, okay, Dr. Nyberg's crazy. She should probably have her <laughs> teaching license revoked. Right. And then I get into college and we get our first writing assignment and I'm like, no problem. I could write this essay in my sleep. Yep. And I'm looking around, no one else can write. Yeah. They're struggling with this. Like they're just struggling with the structure. They don't know how to to express themselves. And I had this superpower of, oh my gosh, I could, a three-point essay? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Because I'd done the hard work in grade 11 and grade 12. Not because of myself, but because I had someone pushing me to go, no, you can be better. You can be better. Yeah. You can be better. Does that affect how you, um, does that affect how, how does that affect your parenting? Oh, well, I mean, now it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I love this. I love that Brene Brown thing about this is okay and this is not okay, like setting boundaries. Yeah. So instead, like before, my wife would be like, Justin, you're doing everything for the kids. You'll tie their shoes. You'll clean up after them. You'll pick up their bags. You'll put away their bikes. You'll, you're doing everything. So hard conversations, easy life. Easy conversations, hard life. Yeah. So 
when I had a hard conversations, like, no, I need you to do this to my kids. Right. Yeah. And then I'm, it's hard because they're not, they're used to walking all over me. They're used to leaving the table and being able to go play video games. And then I just clean up. Right. What a shitty life. And then I get all self-righteous and what, so that's, that's changed my parenting quite a bit and I'm still suck at it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm getting better. And I'm also, I mean, when you get teenagers, man, you, you just, it, it, it's not enough to w- just wish and hope and <laughs> feel like everything's okay. Yeah. Like shit is not okay. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't confront it right away and go, Hey, things don't seem like they're okay. Um, and you really have to dig deep. Like I'll be like to one of my, my kids, I've got, two, I've basically got two teenagers now, 15 and almost 13. And I'll be like, uh, did you do this thing? And they'll say, Oh no, no, I didn't do that. And my wife will be like, bullshit. <laughs> did you do this thing? Yeah. And, and then they're like, no. And they're like, she's like, don't lie to me. Okay. I did that thing. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah. And so, you know, I just want the easy answers. Yeah. Because it, you know, well, but, I feel like, I mean, that's, it's, it's the exact, it's the inverse with my wife and I, though. It's the, my kids respond that the way they respond to you is how they respond to my wife and the, the way mm-hmm. they respond to Lorinda is how they respond to me. But I almost yeah. feel like, uh, you know, they're 10 and, uh, nine and, um, the baby doesn't count. She's two, but she's not really yeah. into this yet. But I <laughs> yeah. feel like, uh, I feel like that stuff has to be worked out now because I almost feel like, um, once they become teenagers and maybe this is wrong, mm-hmm. maybe it's not true, but it feels like once they hit that point it's too late, you know, like they're, they're kind of who they are, you know, but, mm-hmm. but you're in, in that phase. So maybe give me some hope and tell me that's not the case. Well, no, I think, I think you can, it's just harder. Yeah, it's just harder later on the longer you wait. Luckily, like I said, uh, Lorinda was really good with this, and it's evident in the way. Like, there's a lot of days where you know my two oldest are not behaving well, but you know when I see them out and about with other teenagers at their school, I go, "Oh wow!" Like, there's you know, Lorinda's work is evident in the way that they behave. It's so um, funny. My wife gets mad at me because, uh, you know, like I'll walk in and I'll say, OK, girls, go brush your teeth and up they hop and go brush their teeth. And she just looks mm-hmm. at me and is like, I've been telling them for 30 fucking minutes to brush their teeth, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, not to, there is there's some benefits to being the gracious, kind, um, gentle person as well. True. Um, yeah. Because you, th- this is why we need the tension in our life. We can't. Just be, you know, harsh on people all the time. And then, you know, there has to be, uh, you have to walk the line, as Johnny Cash said. Exactly. I thought he was talking about something else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have to walk the line between the two extremes and there has yeah. to be some tension there. And I think, uh, you know, how this applies to my business is what hard reality am I going to deal with now? And I think the way I'm trying to get better at this is to surround myself with people that are good at it, like Adam Wathen. Um, Adam Wathen writes uh, books for PHP developers right. and courses for PHP developers. And watching him, he like he gets to a hard problem, and when I get to hard problems, I'm like, okay, how can I get around this? <laughs> how can I like what's where's the easy route? And he just 
fucking plows in. He just wants to drill right through that mountain to the other side. And he, he will, he's relentless. And the reason people like him and the reason they buy his stuff is because he figures out all the hard shit for them. He asks the hard questions and then he gets the hard answers. And I mean, you can watch, if you follow him on Twitter, he'll debate with people. He'll be like, hey, has anyone fixed this? And someone will throw out the easy answer and he'll be like, no, you don't get it. Like that doesn't work. What's the actual answer? He's not satisfied with easy answers. Yeah, but I, so, I think I think there's I think there's 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 just like everything else we talked about, there's a line there too. Sure. Because yeah. he's he's drilling through the mountains so you don't have to drill through the mountain essentially and also um sometimes that ability um to look at a situation and go okay, what is the easiest way to solve this? Like, there, there, what, what's like, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, why would you want to uh, just pick the hardest way because it proves something to someone else? You know, I mean, sure. if, if you can find yeah. a way to the other side of the mountain without having to drill through it, then you should get the prize. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's there is. You're right. There's tension here, but we all know that there's. Um, there's people that are just always looking for the easy wins. Right. And they always want life to be easy. And, you know, they, they're not willing to dig in deep. And um, that they just expect, uh, referencing Cortland Allen and, and his talk, they just expect the treasure to be sitting on top of the ground and they can just walk up and pick it up. When in reality, you have to like drill for a long time and you might have to drill multiple times to to find it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, and I'm, I'm asking people I trust in my life to call me out on that a lot more too. Like what, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, what are you doing, Justin? Like, are you ignoring something here? Are you, you know, like Brennan Dunn took me aside last year at MicroConf and said, you are working way too hard. Like you're, you're you could be making better money and working less if you just did these things. Like why what, aren't you? What was okay? I'm like I'm so fascinated. Like what what was he talking about when he said you're working way too hard? Like what was he observing specifically, and what was, uh, what was the advice he gave you to change? So uh, I I just don't want to. I didn't want to do any sort of automated drip sequences uh, okay. for people, and so. I, so we're and, talking about marketing mostly then. Marketing, yeah. I mean, that was one thing for sure. Um, also, I think he noticed that I was limiting myself. I've just always seen myself as like the punk rock kid of the solopreneur community. Yeah. And so the, I had this self-righteous kind of indignation like you're not about... not sell out or anything. I'm not going to sell out and that's why I don't make as much. I'm not going to yeah. uh, automate because that's dirty, you know. And so he was just calling it out, just saying, well, he's like, dude, like, yes, you're different than me, but, <laughs> but I make, that I, but I make seven figures on my course. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and he's, he's not even saying, cause that's not fair either. You know, I know obviously, yeah. obviously there's going to be differences and there's multiple reasons why, you know, some one person's revenue might be higher than another. Sure. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you could improve your situation. Yeah. Um, and Ruben Gamez is another guy that does this for me. He, you know, I cannot charm him at all. 
<laughs> like I will, t- I will go for dinner with him in Portland and I'll be like, you know, I'm doing that. And he'll be like, Ugh. he j- he just, he'll think about it and be like, oh no, I, I I'm not buying it. It's yeah. just, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right decision. I think you need to think about it differently. So though having those people and I, to be honest, this is why I partnered up with John Buddha because we balance each other very well. He left to his own devices. He will think about something too long. <laughs> he will move too slow. Yeah. But left to my own devices, I will move too quick and break too much shit. Yeah. Right. And so we balance each other out. Like it, it, there is this built in tension and we'll see if this marriage lasts, but there, there's this built in tension of, I want to do it one way. He wants to do it another way. We've got to meet in the middle. And it's often healthier when we meet in the middle. It's often healthier when we're walking the line and he goes, oh, you know what? I can see it your way. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So you you were working and then you, you did, you've done all these podcasts and you're doing Mega Maker and all that stuff. And then this year it's Transistor. Like, do you have any sort of, not necessarily like the five-year plan, but... Um, this is something I struggle with. So, how does what connects all these things? What, what's the through line for you, like over the next, you know, at least a year or something, with all the different stuff that you're doing? Sure. So, the on one hand, Mega Maker has got to stay the money maker, and and actually should I want to improve that business? I think I've been limiting myself quite a bit. Uh, I know I'm not going to do it by myself. So like Tim Aton has been going through all of my stuff. I just noticed someone bought marketing for developers. And I'm like, whoa, the price increased. And I'm like, oh yeah, I let I told Tim he could just like do all the experiments he wants on my stuff. Yeah. And so there we go. That that's in so motion. So is, is Mega Maker gonna kind of be the home for any products mm-hmm. you make, your podcasts, like your, or, or I don't, is mm-hmm. it, is, is that mm-hmm. the home for content and products and, and everything outside of Transistor basically? Yeah. If you go to megamaker.co, um, we're working on this homepage still, but it's basically, you know, resources for indie entrepreneurs, uh, in my niche, which is programmers, uh, software people, web developer people. Uh, it, it's a very tech centric niche. Yeah. And most of them, you know, have the ability to build their own software. Um, marketing for de- marketing for developers is still the big uh, kind of product that sells there. So, okay. Well, what about all your various things? Like you had the Mega Maker Show, you had Build and Launch, mm-hmm. you had Product People. Mm-hmm. Are, are all those over, yeah. or are they all gonna just turn into the Mega Maker Show now? Or, or, or yeah. What? So I mean, we're still figuring all that stuff out. But the idea is that. Everything in my personal brand is under the is underneath Mega Maker, and okay. uh, and it'll probably mean I keep selling you know uh, books and courses. It'll probably mean I sell tools like the product validation checklist, um, you know, smaller tools that I can build myself, um, smaller partnerships, things like that, and um, I'll keep building the community, uh, but with help. And trying to apply more automation, trying to apply more process, all that yeah. stuff. Transistor is the future, hopefully. And, you know, our goal for Transistor, I don't know if it's possible, but next year at MicroConf, I would love for Transistor to be doing $10,000 a month. 
And, um, you know, we've got a long way to go before we hit that. Does that feel like a really audacious goal or does it feel uh, achievable if you if you just do the right things? Uh, It feels achievable. It it is like John works full time. He's my partner and he works full time at Cards Against Humanity. I work full time on my business uh, on Mega Maker. And so there is this balancing act between, okay, like I would love for us to move faster. Um, and I feel often that we're limited and it, it's frustrating. But 10,000 feels pretty audacious for a year to me, uh, for us to be doing it on the side like this. Yeah. Uh, and 10,000 would enable us either to both go part time with our day job or our day business or one of us go full time. Right. So um, that's kind of in our heads. That's the the goal. And eventually, our goal is to get to twenty thousand. And yeah. really, um, I haven't thought too much further ahead than this, but I'd like it to be a million dollar a year business. So I, I mean, did you just pull that number out of your ass right now, or you really <laughs> thought about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I pull a lot of shit out of my ass. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, to me, I, when I think about building a podcasting hosting tool, um, for businesses, that's kind of our target market. So businesses that want to start a branded podcast, solopreneurs that have a show and want, you know, it's part of their brand, um, bigger tech companies that want to use a podcast just like they would use a blog or a YouTube right. channel. I feel like podcasting is has become an important channel. But well, it better be or I'm fucked. So. Yes, but it's still not as important as having a blog. And so uh, we might I, have to disagree there, brother. Well, well, we don't have time to debate about it. But yeah, that's true. It, it, it's still like, and in terms of like, if if you only had, you're gonna say 50, if you had to do one first, because the blog yes. can come out of the podcast, but the podcast can't as easily come out of the blog, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm just saying if you've got fifty dollars a month to spend, in what order do you get things? So when you open a business, the first yeah. thing you get is Mailchimp or ConvertKit, because you need. Yeah. Email marketing. The next thing you get is web hosting because you need a website. You need to get one. And then after that, you know, I, and I'm just looking at the way people actually do it. They, you know, they, they get email, then they get web hosting, and then they get the Twitter handle, and then they get the, like, that's right. the order. And then down that list is podcasting. And so, you know, Nathan Barry has built, uh, I don't even, I think he's doing a million dollars a month business. Yeah, he's doing over a million a month. But so what you're saying is like, he's kind of at the, if we're going to make a business, uh, a Maslow's business hierarchy of needs, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. at the top of it and you and I are mm-hmm. further down that, that hill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's still a great business there. Uh, and to be honest, I kind of like it that way. Like, yeah, a uh, million dollars would be great. And and even like <laughs> podcasting has I've been in the email newsletter business like Nathan. It is complex and messy and there's deliverability and spammers and there's yeah. a billion things. You have so much customer support. You've got people trying to figure out how to code HTML emails. You've got people sending proofs and wondering why. Oh, yeah. It's, you, it's, you know, it's yeah. it's a mess. Um, 
it's conceivable that John and I could run this company, just the two of us with maybe one or two other people. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, you know, a million dollars a year would be a great little business and maybe it would be bigger. I mean, maybe, uh, there's a lot of acquisitions in our space right now. I noticed today that this really small, uh, podcasting app, uh, what is it called again? They just raised thirteen point five million, and I was like, "What, what? cast cast box?" I cast hadn't even box. heard hadn't even heard of this, and they just it's a it's a listening app for your phone, thirteen point five million. So right now, yeah, there's a lot of people investing in the space, and you know maybe huh. maybe we will win that lottery. But um, our goal is ten thousand a month, twenty thousand a month, and then eventually a million dollars a year. So okay, that would be so uh, about a hundred thousand a month. So, last question for you, um, and this doesn't have to be a long question, but it's one I like to ask everyone. And I think yours uniquely suited answered as well, because you've been through a lot of twists and turns, and you've, you know, um, I doubt you have a ton of regret. I'm that way. I, I, despite all the, you know, shitty things I've done, mistakes I've made, I, I don't live with a lot of regret. And, uh, but. If you if you were starting over, you know, you know, if you were the, this, this is the question, you know, where like, you know, you mm-hmm. wake up tomorrow morning and you don't have anything, um, you don't have transistor, you don't have any money, you don't have your audience, you don't have any of that, but you have your all your your knowledge, you know, you you have um, it's as if it existed yesterday, but and this is a really complicated question. <laughs> but what I'm trying <laughs> to ask is, you know, if you had to start over. You know, you went from being employed to doing um, to going out on your own and doing pro- mostly info products and a lot of content marketing. I don't know if you ever really did a lot of services, but I'm sure that was mixed in there some. And now you've you're at the point where you've launched launched a SaaS and and a, and a product. You know, if 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 you had all your knowledge, but you were just starting over tomorrow, like what? How would that path change? What would you change about it? Uh, I mean, the first thing I would do is I would get a therapist. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. I'm mean, completely honest. No, like, yeah, I, yeah. I think that is that that piece is so important. And again, I realized <laughs> if I'm not well, this really doesn't work. Right. And so I would get a therapist, and I would have a rapport with the therapist. I would probably go, you know, once every month or once every three months, just hey, check in. How you doing? How you feeling? All that stuff. Yeah. Um, after that, I would choose a market and I would choose that market very carefully because I think most of the, uh, most of your success has to do with what type of market you choose, how big that market is, how much money they spend, how motivated they are to solve their own problems, um, how open they are to hiring, you know, services or products to solve those problems. Yeah. And so I would, you know, really consider that and try some things. I would start small. I would, you know, do a little consulting engagement here and there. I would uh, go and work, you know, get a job in that industry and work there and just take notes about the struggles. Oh, really? And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Things so you'd that, start with employment. Uh, I think so. If, uh, employment, freelancing, consulting. Okay. For sure. So not necessarily employment, but some sort of like a service, you know, work in, in that industry. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it leads, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I completely agree with you. I wouldn't start with employment, but I would definitely start with services. I started a snowboard shop um, in my early 20s, and I'd never run a retail, I'd never worked for a retail store before. And that was a huge mistake. 
yeah. if I could have seen the other side of owning a retail store, I would probably have never started it. Um, <laughs> and so that's where ignorance is, is a gift sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, but it, it's so much more helpful if you've been in the trenches, if you've felt a pain point firsthand, if you already have connections and a network in that uh, industry, yeah. which actually brings me to point three, which is I would build relationships very um, uh, intentionally. So not with the idea that someday this person's going to help me out, but just I would be meeting all sorts of different people. I'd be forcing myself to get out of the house. I'd be going to meetups. I would be going to con- I was gonna say, conferences. Would, would conferences be the main way you would do that? Yeah, conferences, meet local meetups. Um, I would start a meetup. I would... You know, I would get out of my house a lot more. Um, yeah. I would fly into a city and you know try to connect with interesting people. That yeah. that those things. I would start a podcast and interview interesting people. Um, those have been the things that have really paid dividends for me. Um, sure. And of all, I've interviewed probably I don't know hundreds of people. Every time they make a big jump forward, it's not because all of a sudden they figured something magical out or a secret life hack. It's because they had a connection who encouraged them to do something yep. or taught them how to do something or gave them an opportunity. And so, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, that's very true. All right, man. Well, you have officially uh, been the longest TGM episode ever. Um, <laughs> and I feel like we could easily go... Um, I would love to do a show with you someday. I don't know if you'll ever have the time or I'll have the time, but maybe I can get all my listeners to spam you until uh, you would agree to do that. But, uh, but this was great. This was great, man. I really appreciate you doing it. And thanks for, you know, uh, seriously, I, I would give up TGM just to do, I, I, we have the best conversations. At least that's, I, I feel that way. Like they're always really useful to me. Yeah, so no, I, I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, I agree too. It's, it's, uh, there's, yeah, you're, you you just feel like I don't know. I feel like I've been chatting with you on the porch forever, uh, and so this yeah. this feels good. Well, I don't know about you, but that was a fantastic conversation. Even though I was half of it. And I still think it was a fast, fantastic conversation. Thanks, Justin, for being on the show again. Check him out on Twitter at MIJustin and justinjackson.ca is his blog. Thanks for listening. If this is your first time listening, you can go to thegentlymad.com and get show notes for this episode. Everything we talked about is linked up there. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes or Google or whatever you use to subscribe to podcasts. You can also get on the newsletter. And if you get on the newsletter, you'll get access to the private bonus feed which is a whole separate feed of episodes that are really fantastic and i think will be very beneficial to you so go there and check that out you can also get on that list by text you can text the word tgm to the number 345345 and automatically get on that list if you want to do me a huge solid you can go to itunes and leave me a rating and review it really helps other people find the show and you also get entered in the uh, book giveaway which this is the last week to do that. So if you want an opportunity to get The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, then go leave me a rating and review, take a picture, email it to me, adam at avclark.com, 
and you'll be entered to win. I'll be letting you know who won on next week's episode. And of course, I always love hearing from you guys. Uh, If there's anything I can do to help you, you can send me an email. I will gladly do so. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you're enjoying the rebirth of the Gently Mad. I'm very happy to be doing it again. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time. I don't know. I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?